Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Narsen. This show is supported by our show partner, Lacole. This is the recap of Stage 2 of the Tour de France, another puncher's stage finishing on Mer de Bretagne. They do two ascents in this 184-kilometer-long stage. If you're not familiar with the Mer de Bretagne, two kilometers at 7%. The sort of from 500 meters in to a kilometer in, it's steep, 11%, 10.5%, some steeper pinches than that, and then it flattens off at the end. The last 500 meters is about... 2%. We've seen riders like Dan Martin win here before, Viermoj with early attacks. And we wondered, would someone like Woods, who's lost time on GC, but a, is a good puncher, nonetheless, be able to take the yellow jersey off Alaphilippe with an early attack? Before Benji tells you about some of the brake mechanics, just if you could leave a like on the video, if you're watching on YouTube, or give us a review on podcast plays. It makes a big difference to us uh, and how the performance of the, the pod goes. That's even English. But Benji, the breakaway, no English riders in that, and a big fight for the poker, for the Mayo Apois once again. Yes, indeed. After yesterday, we had Edith Kelling in that polka dot jersey. We had uh, Anthony Perez fairly close to that. And those were the ones that were trying to get in the breakaway very early on. Once again, the race started off, and the first attacker, Victor Campenart, had to happen, just like it. yesterday. But once again, not in the breakaway. So it's not working very efficiently here, is it? And eventually we saw Skelling attack about five times or so until a breakaway of six was formed. Turns, Edward Turns, Skelling, Anthony Perez, Clark, I think Simon Clark, this one, Cabot, and Jonas Koch. In the end, that is a, a group where two of the riders will be heavily invested in that KOM battle. And we saw that Perez was the better sprinter at the KOM points. He took the first one. He took points from Skelling on the second one as well. And it all come down, comes down towards the last of these KOM points. Well, the last of the ones they can achieve before they get called by the peloton. And that's where it becomes interesting. Five meters to go. We see Schelling go very early. We see Paris counter that. Schelling's on a bit of a gap. He catches back up. And then it becomes another battle of who is going to go now. And Schelling is in second wheel. Paris at the front. Paris just needs to make sure he can follow and out sprint Schelling because he knows he's got the better sprint. But... Schelling does it very trickily, as in he did it the same way that in the Tour de Suisse women, Elise Shabby decided, okay, I'm going to try and put uh, Dagnan under pressure and force her to go early. And that's what Schelling does here to Paris. He launches early, Paris has to respond, Paris decides to keep on sprinting, and Schelling has the second kick when Paris doesn't have it, and Schelling takes the points. He's celebrating with his head. That's something I hadn't seen <laughs> too much yet, funny. but pretty funny indeed. There's going to be some gifts about that, that's for <laughs> sure. But all in all, the battle in the KOM for that moment was done because it's not over yet, the KOM battle. And uh, intermediate sprint time, we've got that breakaway with Edward Turns taking the majority of the points in that group because the rest didn't really bother too much. And then it was a sprint in the peloton. We had a bit of a setup very similar of yesterday. Cavendish was in a good position this time around. We saw Caleb Ewan being set up perfectly by 
the biased once again and the biased with a really proper lead out here and it brings Caleb Ewan to a position where he's well we know that Caleb Ewan if he's in a good position he's the best sprinter in the world and he was in a good position so he takes intermediate sprint that's the end of the story Cavendish and Merlier second and third I don't know by heart in what order because I feel like Merlier slipped over him on the line but I'm not sure about it but in the end Cavendish in the top three of that green jersey sprint so I know it feels weird having Cavendish go for green, even though, yeah, it's logical. <laughs> I, I must say the last two stages have played out perfectly for Caleb Ewan's sprint uh, green jersey ambitions. Wafanart's not been up there in either of the stages. Neither has Peter Sagan. So those two big contenders on these two stages where there's 50 and 50 available at the line despite the punchy finishes for the green jersey competition they haven't really taken advantage of those finishes where Ewan wouldn't be competitive he's then won the intermediate sprints on both days out of the bunch uh the first man after the breakaway so he's got to be very very happy with how these first two stages have gone and now we've largely got pure sprint stages uh where he or Sagan will be competitive so Sagan is going to have to get pretty creative I think in the breakaways etc to go for green maybe where Maybe Colbrelli's the man, but he kind of stuffed himself today. But that's something to monitor. Before we get into the run, into the finish, I want to mention our show partner in more depth, LaCole. They produce performance cycling apparel. They've supported this podcast almost since its inception back at the Tour de France last year. Seems like a lifetime ago. It was less than 12 months ago, which is crazy. But they've been on board since pretty much day one. They produce their performance cycling apparel at the base of Monte Grappa. And if you want to pick up some Lacole kit during the tour, you can use code LRTDF20, all caps, in the description, which will get you 20% off all Lacole items, even if they're already discounted. That's LRTDF20. They've just launched their new lightweight collection, which is pretty good. I just got some delivered yesterday, and I approve of it greatly. But Benji... <laughs> The run into the uh, first ascent of the Murder Britannia, 8.52 bonus seconds on offer. The Peloton timed it perfectly. No Dauphiné not catching the break in time mechanics here at the Tour de France. It was The Peloton was was meaning business. Yeah, certainly. They caught up with Edward Turns on the exact Murder Britannia, the first run-in, obviously. And the interesting part here is that there's also KOM points and bonus gate points at the top of that first run-in of the Murder Britannia. That climb has 8 seconds, 5 seconds, and 2 seconds for the first three riders. And perhaps some people would be interested in that. We saw a bit of a setup, the Koenig setting up Alaphilippe fairly well at the front of the group at the foot of that climb. And I think that they were trying to get him in a good position so that when someone tries to go for these 8, 5, 2 seconds, he can try and respond and perhaps I'll sprint them on the latter part. But a lot of people seemed interested. And suddenly we had Van der Poel, who was not in a perfect position at the entire foot of the climb move up in the first 300 meters and he settled himself in a good seven to six position in the wheel of an art and then suddenly an attack by Mathieu <laughs> van der Poel on the second last Mur de Bretagne and I was like oh wow uh, this is early is he doing this he's doing this and there was no response and I don't know I feel like it was on one end surprising that he was doing this, but on the other end, it's Matthew Vanderpool. He was probably cold and didn't <laughs> have a jersey surprised. next to him. So <laughs> he just wanted to go for the attack and uh, wanted perhaps to go for the seconds and for the K1 points because obviously the K1 jersey is <laughs> his final goal. <laughs> Mate, he's not even finishing this race. I think he knew that if he if he wanted to go into yellow today, he'd need to gain time on the road. 
and also take as many bonus seconds as possible on Philippe Going into the stage, Philippe taking the 10 seconds yesterday and the bonus seconds on him as well as, oh, a lot of seconds on the, uh, eight seconds on the road. So Alphilippe had an 18 second gap going into the Britannia. Benji and I said yesterday, no chance Alphilippe loses the yellow. <laughs> on, on the Britannia best puncher in the world. He, he uh, we said uh, Matthew Vanderpool just took the eight bonus seconds behind. It was Alphilippe leading out pretty much all the GC guys. And then it was Roglic and Pagacha coming around him, the two Slovenians. Pagacha looking very strong in the uphill sprint. He took the five seconds. Roglic two, Pagacha taking three back on the four Roglic took on him yesterday. But after that, it was like the scene we've seen for the last 10 years in Tour de France and in sort of high-level stage racing. Ineos taking control, Dylan van Baal on the front, then Kwiatkowski, Gagenhart, uh, Port Thomas, Carapaz last. And Cloak had been pulling all day, but it was Ineos time now on the descent and then the run-in to the Murder Britannia. Not as technical yesterday, not as important to be at the front, and thankfully no major crashes today. It was a much better day uh, than yesterday. But, yeah, Ineos, did you at any moment think, Benji, they're going to try to lose the wheel tactic to get Port back some time, or is this a, a place to play Carapaz as a card and then with Waffenup not looking so good, maybe puts pressure on... Roglic and Pagacha to close them on the Murder Britannia? I think it starts off earlier. I think at the start, it's trying to keep them in a good position for the bottom of the Murder Britannia. And that's the initial part because the run-in for that is quite treacherous with the descent going towards it. And from that point onwards, yes, indeed. I think that they were trying to keep their leaders at the front so that when somebody makes a move, they can use the Ineos strategy to just keep on reeling that in because we saw that Richie Port was actually working for other people today. And I was on one end surprised by that. And on another end, he's been saying it for, for months. So. <laughs> we just, me and you, I just didn't believe him. I was just like, he's lying. He's lying. Of course, <laughs> can you go for GC? Well, he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, so sad. But in the end, it was indeed Ineos leading up the uh, initial parts of the final Mood Britannia. And I feel like I was looking for a few riders there. I was looking at where's Vanderpool? Sixth, seventh position in the wheel of Fanart. Perfect position. Genuinely perfect. Where's Roglic? Literally in the wheel of Pogacar for the entire final 10 kilometers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> ah, so funny to see because he wasn't even near his teammates, not near Fanart. No. He decided Pogacar is the wheel I'm taking and it's probably a good idea, to be honest. And then Alaphilippe and I was looking and I couldn't instantly find him. He was not in the first 10 riders. I thought he was marking Woods. I, I thought he he thought correctly, and this is what I thought would happen, that Woods, having lost nine minutes yesterday, was going to do a Vierremoge or Dan Martin 2018 and attack early, have the other GC contenders be like, I like the stage, but also I'm not going to be the one closing down Mike Woods, who's not a GC threat. My overall goal is GC. So I thought Alfleet was marking him. Maybe he was just badly positioned. Maybe he was tired after he did crash yesterday. He had a, a huge effort like to win yesterday where... I don't think it suited him as much as today. And then he had the intermediate sprint up the Murder Britannia as well, where he let everyone out and then kind of faltered. So maybe he just didn't have the legs today. But yeah, it was uh, Murasa. I thought it was, I was like, is this Pedavakoj 2016 Brabantse Pale Pedavakoj back? It wasn't, <laughs> unfortunately. It was Murasa for Alperson Phoenix actually attacked. He was marked by Formolo, yep. which interesting that Formolo got freedom rather than being put on leading out. Uh, Pagacha duties. I'm not sure. I was kind of surprised by that, actually. I don't think Ineos 
of old would have done that. But anyway, Formolo goes past Mercer, promptly dies uh, a thousand deaths <laughs> on the bike, and then it's still Ineos leading out, except Port's leading out, and Grant Thomas isn't there anymore. He's not third wheel. He's slid back, and I can see his helmet bobbing up 10th, then 15th wheel. He's at the back of the group just hanging on. And who was the first major attack out of that group bench? He was at MVP having a – he had uh, one initial attack, right? Yeah, certainly. I, I don't think we saw any proper attack next to Van der Poel there, and Van der Poel went for it. And I feel like it was in the same fashion as he did the climb before. He just gave them, like, an idea in their mind. This is what I'm going to do. Do what you want. And uh, he did it again at the final ascent of the Mur Britannia. And he caused an initial gap because he has that extra kick. And there was no initial response because what does Pogacar going to do with Roglic? Van der Poel is not a GC threat for them. Alaphilippe's literally the person that could think, okay, yellow jersey, Van der Poel, he's going to try and take it. So technically, I'm the first person who has to respond to this. And wrong, everybody's Benji. looking at Alaphilippe to do it. Okay. We got it wrong. We disrespected the man who's back. Van der Poel saw the threat of Nairo Quintana attacking. Oh. And he closed down Nairo. Seriously, I couldn't believe it. Right. It, was, it was great to see it. Van der Poel saw Nairo attacking. Nairo came from deep and hit the GC group. And Van der Poel was like, holy shit, the condor is flying. Got onto his wheel. So that was the initial move. And Van der Poel then started pacing the whole Jack Hague's on his wheel. And it's Kelderman, Pagacha, Roglic, etc. Just Carapaz there, Thomas gone. And Colbrelli countered. Now, that was the move that was surprising, Benji. If you were Colbrelli, yeah. would you have hit that group at 800 metres when you'd be backing your reduced bunch kick against against them? I think, I mean, quick answer is no, right? Uh, but, yeah, then you've got Van der Poel leading out. He's got Pogaccio Roglic on his wheel, and this was the big acceleration with 7.50 to go. Colbrelli trying to close it. Did you think he was gone straight away when he had that second acceleration, Benji, from the GC guys, and you saw some heads on a swivel? Yeah, because you so you tend to see in a group behind when an attack happens whether somebody's going to instantly respond to that. And it's still far enough from the line for a person like Roglic and Pogacar not to respond because if it's closer, then they can try and go for second and third. But right here, they're thinking, if I go now, I can't sprint for second and third and I might exactly. lose bonus seconds to the other Slovenian. And that's why they don't do it. Alaphilippe, same story. But the thing with Alaphilippe is he kind of has to respond because otherwise... Your boy is running away with the yellow jersey. And the gap started expanding. And it started expanding. And it became clear that Van der Poel was going to win the stage. But with how many seconds would it be enough to take the yellow jersey today? Exactly. He gets, he gets into that last 250 meters. You can see on the ASO graphic, he's doing like 45 Ks an hour plus on the flatter section. Draft is huge. And Alaphilippe just didn't take it up from the GC group slash didn't have the legs it was Wilco Kelderman that was the first man trying to bridge across to Matthew Van der Poel. He created separation to the main GC group. Only Pogaccia and Roglic could mark him. And Pogaccia was on Kelderman's group. Uh, wheel came out of it with Roglic then coming third. So Pogaccia took second, uh, at taking six bonus seconds, Roglic third with four bonus seconds. But it was that MVDP attack. From 790 meters coming off Colbrelli's wheel, Roglic and Pagacha happy to let him go, slash 
probably couldn't do anything to respond. And yeah, incredible win for Van der Poel today. Emotional afterwards. I'll play his finish line interview now and then we'll get Benji's thoughts on this win. So much happening, I suppose, in, in your mind right now. That's the stage victory and there's the symbolic, the symbolic, you're going to be yellow jersey, yeah. Mathieu. I have no words. Really, uh, I don't know what to say. You want to stay on the Tour de France. Uh, can you talk to us about, about the way you want it? Because you went to go get that, that, those bonus seconds at the top of the first climb. You went to get the victory as well. I mean, you wanted this one so much. Yeah, for sure. Um, I gambled a little bit and I played everything I got the first time already because I knew I needed the bonus seconds if I wanted a jersey. And it was also my last chance to, uh, to get the yellow jersey. So... It's incredible. Who was you, who were you thinking of when you crossed the line? Yeah, my granddad, of course. So Benji, of the two stages, were you expecting MVP to actually be able to take out today's stage? Did even I mean we think he's awesome, but against Alaphilippe, Roglic and Pagaccia, did you expect him to win on like a pure puncher slash GC men finish? Well, we had him as podcast pick, I think both of us for this stage. I just (laughs) became scared this morning because yesterday we had such a power move by Alaphilippe that I was like, oh God, you can just do a, a carbon copy of stage one and stage two and might take it again. So I didn't dare to speak out today. Like, is it Vanderpool? Is it Alaphilippe? They both had that opportunity today. But I should have stayed with my podcast pick. You should have remembered your podcast pick. <laughs> and eventually, Vanderpool indeed taking it. And what's so wonderful is that we've had this slow buildup in his career. He started off in the pro county scene. He did obviously cyclocross beforehand to the top of the world in that sport. And then on the road, he started building up. He started building up the same way that Van Aert did. Building up, building up, doing first the cobble races, doing good in those cobble races, Ronda then doing Van the Lindbergh. world for cobble races, doing those perfectly. And then eventually it all comes down to going to his first Grand Tour this year, obviously Olympics afterwards. But this is what he wanted, the yellow jersey. I heard yesterday that they apparently already made the yellow uh, kit and so forth before stage one, just in case he won stage one, because they had so much confidence in Van der Poel of potentially taking the yellow jersey this weekend. And it didn't work out yesterday and the wonderful colors of purple-yellow. But eventually today, back to the normal kit, he does it. And it's so mythical to see the growth and be able to experience that in the sport, a rider that comes from the lower end and, and just builds it up towards the top of the world. And he's not where he wants to be yet. Olympics are coming. But I think uh, his Tour de France is basically goal-wise as perfect as it can be. It's it's over goal-wise, but I think uh, he's still going to be seen a lot in the coming week. Here's the full stage results. Van der Poel first, Pagacha second, six seconds behind with Roglic and Kelderman in that group. A further two seconds behind, Alaphilippe, Mollema, Wingergold looking very good, Egita, Latour, Haig, Woods, Carapaz, Masguru. Oh, that goes on too long. But yeah, there's a fairly large group <laughs> behind them. GC, as Benji said, Van der Poel takes the yellow jersey eight seconds ahead of Alaphilippe. So those eight seconds he took in the first ascent of the Murder Britannia plus the seconds that Alaphilippe sat up on the line yesterday, they made a big difference. The Gacha 
third on 13 seconds, one second ahead of Roglic, fourth, then Kelderman, Haig on 24-26, Molima, Igita, Wingerwald, 26 seconds, and Guru, 10th. The big story at the moment that we haven't talked spoken about, Benji, is Ineos. Geraint Thomas had a terrible day. He lost 15, no, 17 seconds on the road to Pogaccia and Roglic, and that's 21 and 23 seconds when you include bonus seconds to Pogaccia and Roglic. Already he has lost, when you take into account the bonuses yesterday, let me do some quick maths. I'm struggling. Like 27 <laughs> seconds, 27 to 28 seconds on the Slovenians. That's big trouble for Thomas because say he has the TTs of his life and, you know, <laughs> that's 28 seconds is probably where you make up that time on the TTs and then they're going to presumably take time on him elsewhere in mountaintop finishes, etc. even if he is in their group, just bonus seconds alone. So not a good day for Ineos, losing more time with Port and Thomas. Port's now at three minutes back, and Carapaz is at 31 seconds. So Jumbo Visma, the team with the two GC threats, Wingergaard and Roglic, have we underrated Wingergaard, Benji? He's at 26 seconds, same as Hagen Co. His TT at Dauphiné was good. Do you protect him as a second GC leader now? No, certainly. I think that I think you guys his time trial is really good. I think that if he went for GC, he could probably top ten the tour, not like quite genuinely, even with the competition that's here. And I just feel like the problem is that well, it depends. I don't think other teams will mark him. I don't think other teams will consider him co-leader. I think really? that Jumbo should use him as co-leader. Well, to be honest, let's be real. Then like Ineos and Silfov, they have made mistakes in the first two days already. I think that they're not going to respond if Vingegaard goes. They can't because they drop otherwise. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would consider him a serious GC threat. His TT is oh, me too, good. but... Yeah, I guess, but maybe we, we thought McNulty was going to beat Roglic in Basque Country, or I did at least. So maybe maybe we're overhyping the young lad. But yeah, he's a really good card for them to play because he's not going to lose in the TT. And on quote-unquote slow mountain stages, uh, i.e. when no one dri- drives it, when there's a group of 15 finishing, I'm expecting him to be there alongside riders like Bill Bow and Chavez, etc. So that's... Yamba Visma got to be super happy with where they are right now, yes. despite Pagancha taking a second... Uh, ahead of Roglic. Ineos, do you think they stuffed it up, Benji? What, what Did they do a Movistar and that they've driven it full gas to just drop their leader, Thomas? Did they need to drive it that hard, given that it was Murisa and Formolo attacking, or were they just trying to control it? kind of find it surprising because usually when their leader is in bad form, they tend to like drive it backwards in the way that they would relay at the front, pretend to be riding at a decent tempo, but the tempo was not large enough to threaten someone of their own team to drop, for example. They did it on Montaiguel last year in the Tour de France to make sure Bernal could follow at that point. And today they just went a bit too hard. I think Richie Paul just went too hard and eventually Thomas was put under pressure. And I think that it likely would have been a bit more of a 1v1 battle between people if Ineos didn't force that tempo at the start. I don't know who would have teammates at that point to drive it. Would Wout exactly. not kick in? and do it for Roglic, I doubt it. I doubt, doubt it. they would place that. And looking at other teams, well, I didn't. don't think they... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's the man that would have. He did it on the last climb. Uh, was it Rochelle Faucon? On um, Liege, Baston Liege. Yep. But he attacked instead today. So Benji's 100% right. No one was really looking like attacking or pulling 
that wasn't sort of going for the stage like Cole Braley and Matthew Vanderpool, who obviously aren't GC threats. So really interesting opening couple of stages. Apart from the crashes yesterday, which I don't really think you can't blame ASO for that, do you think this has been a really well-designed opening two stages for excitement to the Tour Benji? I think it's a massive tick. What do you mean? A massive tick as in good or bad? When is a tick ever mean bad? When is something right on your exam and a teacher well, ticks an animal, it and says... <laughs> you can get Lyme disease from those animals. <laughs> what expressions do you have in Flanders? <laughs> do you think it was good? <laughs> yeah, yes, I think it was good. But I think that there was a lot of discussion on social media yesterday whether having such a nervous stage is good at the start of a Grand Tour and that perhaps a prologue would fit better on the first stage to tone things down. But I think that's that's a harsh decision because then you're basically saying to X amount of people in the peloton, yeah, you can never get a yellow jersey on the first day because that's impossible. And if the TT is long enough, the prologue, then you're making sure that people can't take it on day two or day three either. A sprinter might not end on 10 seconds or 9 seconds on the first prologue and might does not be able to gain back those bonus seconds on the second and third stage to get in the yellow jersey. So stuff like that, I think, is a dangerous decision to go off two crashes in one of the early stages and say, oh, we want prologues. And you always hear, hear the same people saying it. It's going to be the GC people that say that, the ones that had time losses in their team because the winners of those stages won't be responding with, oh, they should put a prologue stage in the first one. Alaphilippe wouldn't say that yesterday. I can assure you of that. I want to see Alaphilippe, MVDP, Rolish Pagacha type guys in the yellow jersey, not Stefan Kung or Bisaga. Sorry, guys. I love you guys, but it's I no. want to see the top dogs taking yellow or fighting it out at least. And I don't Adam think Buru. a prologue... I don't think... It, yeah, Adam Buru, where, where's he been, mate? Not looking good. Luchenko um, <laughs> looking, <better, laughs> looking better. And I don't think a prologue would calm them down. They're all going to fight tooth and nail in stage one anyway and the first crash was uh not their fault uh, a bit of news on that apparently the french jean marie uh put out a social media manhunt or woman hunt for the person who held out the <laughs> sign um we i guess we should have done this at the top of the show but unfortunately we're not professionals uh in terms of dns's there's obviously were dnfs yesterday but in terms of dns's fortunately not too many uh Froome started Martin started, Turnison started, Kreuzweig at Kusin all fine, and others. Solaire's out. The big one is Solaire, and he, what do you have? He broke both his arms or something, Benji. How yeah. did he finish the stage? Fractures in both arms, which is just crazy to think about. Jesus. And um, I think we also had Sihil in one. We had the guy that was sitting on the ground, Sutulin, and yeah. a fourth person, but I generally can't remember the fourth person. He or she right started. Now. He looked banged up, though. Um, yeah, here she, that's the thing for UAE, Benji, you, you were saying who would have been the man to set pace for Pogaccia. It would have been here she, even if in his moderate form, but he was, yep. he was kind of hanging out at the back looking a bit banged up, but fortunately not too many people DNF or DNS, although some, we're not sure how much it affected. What about last couple of, last thing, Benji, before I say what the route is tomorrow, Pog and Rog. Does anything in the today change your opinion? Is Pogaccia now going to win the tour because he won the uh, two bonus sprints? He was already winning the tour, mate. Let's be real. Oh, true. Yeah. So it's not, <laughs> it's not changed your view. Yeah, no, I think we both have the view that either one could win, but that you're more on the Roglic side, I'm more on the Pogacar side here. And I think that it's fun that this battle is there. I really enjoy seeing the Pog versus Rog battle and the fight for these bonus seconds left and right. 
ah, oh, it's so fun to see. And they do spicing up these stages. And I'm happy that those are the two that are fighting it out for GC. But let's not forget, who knows, there might be a third candidate, a Wilco Kellerman to come out on top in the end. You never know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Mate, if, if Kel- <laughs> it's unbelievable. I get more and more mad the better he does. Because I'm like, how has he come top five? The, the, <laughs> the level you need to be at to come top five on these two yeah. stages is an insane level, like insane level. And Kelderman has been at that level. And he hasn't won a road stage or a, road, a race on the road since 2013. So I just yeah, I don't understand. He, he's so good. But, yeah, uh, it's crazy. So Kelderman is definitely definitely one to watch. I'll be watching his TT closely. Tomorrow's stage should be pretty straightforward. More what you expect from the first big of the tour from Lorient to Pontevi, 183Ks long. It should be a nailed-on sprint for um, Ewan Melier, Cavendish, etc. As Benji mentioned in the preview, there is a hairpin, two hairpins in the, the run-in. It is technical. You need to be in good position, but there's not a corner right neck, you know, right at the finish, so it doesn't suit Ewan. In that sense, I think I picked Ewan. Who did you go with, Benji? Melier or Ka- Melier, right? Case Bowl? Maybe? I don't remember. We're going to have to take a look at that pinned comment by someone that made a yeah. pinned comment with all our names that we chose under the uh, preview podcast on YouTube, that's pretty cool. But I do wanna, I do wanna say that there's the running to the line that is pretty descending. So I think that positioning is gonna be key. Yeah. Did we mention I think on the preview podcast that this finish was pretty technical? Yeah. I, I you recall did. there being some technicalities, yeah. and that's why I chose a rider that has more acceleration and a good lead out train. But Merlier won't win this. Like he fell yesterday, and True. he's not looking good. So. I'm going to ditch my pick and I'm going to say a different name and I'm going to jump on your bandwagon and say Caleb Ewan because he's been absolutely splendid. His leadouts at the intermediate sprints have been insane. He's the best sprinter in the world if he's in a good position and he's going to show that on stage three. I mean, maybe Mark Cavendish goes for the win. He just launched that NFT collection, which I wouldn't want to promote too heavily. But yeah, that was weird. Uh, So I don't know if that was his idea or not, but yeah be interesting to see who is the top dog of the sprinters tomorrow uh i mean if there's any win this week Ineos have to try something the only way that's the way they can get thomas and co back into this too i know it sounds hysterical 30 seconds back thomas but <laughs> you, they need to gain some time and yeah. some crosswinds if they're if they're there and they have the team to do it van bala kvietkovsky Rowe still look outstanding as ever in that sort of role so they have to try if that happens maybe the forecast won't support that but Hope you enjoy the. Uh, hope you enjoyed this recap. Thanks to Lukov for supporting the show, and we'll see you with it tomorrow. Make sure you watch Benji's PCM playthroughs in the morning because that will have some sprint deviations and usually doesn't certainly tell you, doesn't tell you the winner. <laughs> Ciao. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 